one of the great benefits of MAST is that at the end of the translation, there's no question about will the church use this because they've invested their time, their treasure themselves, and as a result, the use of it is much greater at the end of the translation process. A new approach to Bible translation is having a significant impact on how quickly God's Word is being published in new languages. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest is Bruce Smith, the President and CEO of Wycliffe Associates, dedicated to the acceleration of Bible translation. Before we get to today's conversation, though, I invite you to experience our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Not only will you learn more about our guest and topic, but you'll also see the schedule of upcoming programs, and you can listen to any past interview. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com and spend a few moments exploring the information, including an opportunity to receive a special devotional from the Far East Broadcasting Company. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. Dr. Bruce Smith of Wycliffe Associates was with us a few years ago, telling his own story, having written about it in his book, Living Translation, My Life. Now he's written a second book, Living Translation, Their Stories. And he joins me in the studio to talk about these exciting stories from around the world. We're seeing an awakening among the church, a thirst for God's word in local minority languages that uh, is unprecedented in, in world history. And uh, just in the last three years, a real breakthrough has occurred that is enabling uh, local churches, local Christian bodies of, bodies of believers to do Bible translation in their own languages for the first time. Hmm. I think we were on the threshold of that last time we talked, but now you have some actual experience with That's it, That's right? exactly right. Yeah, we're yeah. now three years into this program. We call it MAST, which is basically an acronym that means Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation, and it's just a... It's a description of the fact that we bring support, encouragement, tools, resources, training to help the local church do this translation work for themselves. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about what's entailed with Mass, but tell me a story. How, how is God using it already? Well, the way Mass emerged was uh, really something that can only be described as miraculous. It was, it was a movement of God among a, a group of people in South Asia who uh, are a minority group of Christians among a large majority of um, non-Christians in their community. And they were really on nobody's list for ever receiving Bible translation. Too small of a group. It was perceived to be a dying language. And from from an outside point of view, these were not people that needed the Bible. The only thing is that they didn't agree. The believers, the local church leaders, had a thirst for God's Word— and a readiness and a willingness to engage in the process. They didn't want to be told no, did they? Exactly right. Well, they they basically said, we're going to do this. Will you help us or will we do it on our own? Mm. And so as they came to us, we said, of course, we'll help you. And through a series of really unexpected events, we, we came upon this method called MAST, which is really a way for the local church, uh, for the local believers to work in parallel and to do drafting and checking of scriptures in a very short period of time and at their at their second workshop where they brought they brought 13 translators together in a two week period of time they drafted and checked half of their new testament in two weeks <laughs> this shocked us it shocked them and it shocked everybody around that heard this story and over the past 3 years this has now been multiplied hundreds of times we've actually served 
959 different language groups as they've begun Bible translation projects over the past three years using this methodology. And so it has created a breakthrough for Bible translation, making Scripture accessible in minority languages where it hasn't been in the past. Do you bump into people who say, well, what, what's the big deal? It can't be that hard to translate Scripture. You know, you just, you just find a word that means the same thing and move on, right? Well, there are, there are certainly those that, that think it's simpler than it actually is, but there are also on the other side people who think it's more complicated than it really is, that the only people that can do or should do Bible translation are foreign scholars, people that have uh, doctoral degrees or seminary degrees and those kinds of things. But these are ordinary Christians in these communities, people who live and have grown up in the language and culture and who know it better than any outsider can ever learn it. Hmm. And they've got this convergence both of a thirst for God's word and a sort of a holy impatience, not not willing to wait for somebody else to do something that God has already equipped them to do. And that's why they're moving forward. So a few years ago, you wrote a book called uh, Living Translation, My Life. That was your own personal story. And we, we talked about that. You've written a new book called Living Translation, Their Story. So you've turned the table and you are documenting what you've, you're learning from all these other cultures. This is an effort to really make their voices be heard in our environment. Too often we talk to ourselves about what we want to accomplish in missions, in church planting, evangelism, and we certainly have a responsibility biblically. But this is an opportunity in this book to tell their stories and get their vantage point on what it's like as the church has taken root around the world and as they sense their opportunity to be stewards of God's word for their own people, how MAST has changed their environment and brought scripture to their people faster than ever before. Give me another example of that. Yeah, so one of the places where this has occurred is in uh, Eastern Africa and Ethiopia. And uh, about a year ago, or maybe it's two years ago by now, a test case was put together where traditional methods of Bible translation were compared against the new methods of Bible translation that are being done with MAST. And obviously you had uh, the local people who were involved in the translation, but also international observers who were watching it. And the interesting thing about that particular experience is that The two groups came away with very different perceptions about what happened at that workshop. From an international point of view, from the people who had done Bible translation as foreigners in foreign locations, they looked at it and they saw all the flaws. They saw all the weaknesses, the the difficulties of the local people, the lack of education, low literacy rates, all of these kind of things, limited training, those kind of things. The local people saw none of those. All they saw was the excitement and the exhilaration of having scripture in their language for the very first time and of the local church engaging directly in the process, not being dependent upon outside resources. So what happened was these groups came away with different perspectives on the very same event. But what has happened since then is that the churches within Ethiopia have moved forward with this um, methodology, the mass methodology, in order to advance Bible translation into many more languages, and they see this as their future. The the way they describe it, mast is a must, because (laughs) that's the way they're going to have Scripture in their languages sooner instead of later. Yeah, the bottom line is these Scriptures are getting translated more quickly, and uh, more languages can be accomplished in in a shorter period of time. It's, it's saving time, it's saving cost, it's directly engaging the local church uh, under their authority of the local church leadership and within their church network. It's connecting groups that previously have been alienated by 
perhaps tribal differences or cultural differences or even religious differences, bringing them together in the unity of, of facing what Scripture says and the, the opportunity they have to encourage and collaborate with one another in that process to bring Scripture to their people for the first time. It's changing the landscape of the church around the world. If a language group doesn't have any of the Scripture in their own language at this point, where do they start? Do they always start at the same place? Well, they have to start with a with an existing translation that's in a language that they understand. So all translation has to be done by bilingual people. Okay. The only question is which languages are they multilingual or bilingual and in? comfortable with. Yeah. Exactly. So in many of the places that we're working, there's a majority language translation that has existed for perhaps 100 years or even longer in the large language groups of that country. But the smaller language groups have nothing. And so many times outsiders would look at that and say, well, why, why can't they just get along with the majority language? And we often say, and we've heard them say, this is like listening to a conversation between God and someone else. When we hear scripture in a foreign language, we're listening to God talk to them. But when we hear God speaking our language, when we have the translation in our own language, it's as if God is speaking to us. That's powerful. And it, it, it touches their hearts in ways that the foreign language translation never can. But that's the gateway for them to get into their translation. They start with an existing majority language translation, and then they go from that into their own minority language. Do they normally start with the New Testament? Uh, they normally do start with the New Testament, but as we approach them, we basically leave that question to be answered by them. They could say, well, we'd like to start with Psalms. Our our culture is very much into music and into singing. We want to start with Psalms. They might also say, we'd like to start with Genesis, because many cultures have uh, sure. a creation An narrative story, and fol- yeah. folklore mm-hmm. that they would like to use. But many of them do start with the New Testament. Often they start with the Gospels because they want the the story of Jesus Christ to be told in their communities in an intimate and and familiar way so that it can move the hearts of their people. Do they then, in a sense, own this translation? Absolutely. Not only in a sense, they absolutely own own this. So in in the cases where translations have in the past been done by people outside of their community and perhaps even by foreigners, often those translations are copyrighted and owned by foreign agencies. And in every case that we work with in MAST, the translation is owned by the local community, and they, they make their own decisions about who receives it, whether it's in print or whether it's in an audio format, how it's distributed, and, and how it will be used within their community. More about the work of Bible translation and new technology with Bruce Smith coming up here on First Person. This program is supported each week by the Far East Broadcasting Company, and I'm Ed Cannon, the president of FEBC. These first-person stories of God at work in people's lives always encourage me. And at FEBC, we want to encourage you even more with God's Word. Take a moment to sign up for our daily online 30-day devotional featuring stories and scripture. You can sign up easily at firstpersoninterview.com. Go there today, firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Dr. Bruce Smith. Bruce is president and CEO of Wycliffe Associates, and we're talking about the work of Bible translation, which has changed like a lot of the world has changed. There's an exciting new development. Uh, What is the role of Wycliffe Associates in Bible translation, Bruce? So this is our 50th anniversary year. We were formed by Christian businessmen in 1967, and throughout our history, our role has been to serve Bible translators. 
Now, in the earliest years of Wycliffe Associates, those translators tended to be foreigners working in cultures and languages that were not their own. This is the kind of model of missions that we've grown up with. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this as paradigm one. Foreign translators, foreign managers of the process working in a, a foreign country. In later years, in the last part of the 20th century, a lot more uh, local Christians have become involved in translation. As the church was planted through the work of Christian missions during the 20th century, more and more of these locations that need translation now have a church. They have a church structure, they have leadership, they have training, they have discipleship. And those people know the language and know the cultures that are still needing scripture. So in the second paradigm, we talk about local translators, but still under foreign managers. What we're seeing now with MAST is the third evolution of this, which is local translators under local management. So the local church is making all the decisions. What's the priority for translation? Who's going to be involved? Where do we start? When is it finished? How will it be used and how will it be distributed? All of those are answered by the local church. But you come alongside and offer training and tools. Is that a good way to put it? MAST is specifically a training um, method to help them understand how to work in parallel and how to achieve a very natural and accurate translation working as a team instead of as a small group of people. Then, of course, we come alongside that with technology like the tablets I described, software that's loaded on those tablets so that they have source texts that are free of copyright limitations, Mm -hmm. but also have translation notes to cue them to what the key translation issues are in each verse and each passage so they can have the highest quality result from their work. What are the end users in these languages saying when when all all is said and done and they actually have a copy of the scriptures in their hand? Yeah, what they're saying is hallelujah. <laughs> I, I can I can picture in my mind actually dozens of pictures of the the final day of the workshop. Typically what we do is we bring a printer along so that if it's a print translation, we can print a copy of whatever they've translated. In some cases, they've brought enough translators to do their entire New Testament draft and check their New Testament. Which is how many people? Typically, if they have 26 or more, they can do that entire New Testament in a two-week period of time. Okay, they have to be bilingual and they have to have some uh, leadership ability, of course, to do this. The church leaders are always involved. They also have have to have a reliable source text and they have to have a sufficient number of people to have basically a community-level checking that occurs during the workshop process. And so at the end of that, they're all standing there holding their printed versions over their head, cheering and praising God, like I said, hallelujah, for the fact that for the first time in their history, in the history of the world, their language has God's word and his voice is speaking directly to their hearts. It's probably a poor analogy, but I'm thinking about broadcasting versus podcasting. You know, everybody can do podcasting, but it's poor analogy because when the end product comes about through MAST, I mean, it's good. There's nothing inferior about it at all. So the great thing is these translations are being done by the people who are most knowledgeable of their language and culture. And regardless of how great our interest is and how long our commitment is, as a foreigner working in a a different language and culture, we will never understand the nuances of language and culture the way a person who is born in that arena understands it. And so when you, when you not only have a single translator, but you have perhaps dozens of translators, we've had, we had one workshop where the group brought 117 translators together to work on their New Testament and Old Testament at the same time. When you have that kind of 
community involvement. You have a, a you have a wisdom and experience and a perspective that can never be duplicated by foreigners. And so, from our experience, and certainly from the perspective of the local church, they believe these translations are the highest possible quality. You've been invited to this unveiling, so to speak, of these projects. You've you've emotionally seen what's going on. I was actually at the first event that occurred in South Asia, watching this minority people group do this, and I was I was groping for words to describe this to my family back home. And I remember at, late at night, I was trying to write them an email to just give them an update, and the only word I could really think was close to being accurate was miraculous. Hmm. It was it was as if I was watching the Holy Spirit inspiring them in the same way that the Holy Spirit sovereignly inspired the original writers of Scripture. That's, that's really saying something. And this is, what, this is what I describe in the book is I've been praying my whole life for a miracle to happen, for the church to step up and take responsibility for Bible translation in their own languages. But the definition for me of a miracle was practically, you know, that which never occurs, even though I prayed for it, I, I couldn't imagine it happening, but this is exactly what I'm seeing. I'm seeing God work miraculously through the people of these communities and through the church leadership structures to bring Scripture to their people sooner instead of later, and it's an exhilarating time to be a part of Bible translation. I know this is relatively new. You're into it just a couple of three years, I think you said, but it's pretty exciting. You're seeing growth. What are some of the other ways that Wycliffe Associates is growing uh, in its outreach? So our mission statement at Wycliffe Associates is involving people in the advancement of Bible translation. We've always seen, we've always felt that the best thing we could contribute is engaging God's people in service roles and and support roles that use their skills and experience, typically from business, to help advance the Bible translation process. In the years before MAST, our volunteer engagement had risen as high as 3,000 to 3,500 volunteers per year, and we were thrilled by that. We were exhilarated. That was a, that was a large body of people contributing These to translation. These are people from all walks of life, right? Exactly. These are people from our communities. Typically, we've, we've focused on uh, recruiting retirees, people who have a lifetime of experience in their specialty that they can immediately bring into the team of Bible translators to make the team more effective. Even skills like carpentry and building and... We've built training centers all over the world, dozens and dozens of training centers for the local people, offices, schools, uh, even airstrips and things like that. But as great as that was in the pre-MAST era, what we found now is that we're engaging local people in a way that we have never been able to in the past. Last year, we saw more than 7,000 people involved in Bible translation through our through our teamwork. This year, we're on track to see more than 8,000. I've asked our team often, you know, who are the people who are most important to Bible translation in Africa? And the answer is Africans. Mm -hmm. Same thing in Asia, same thing in the Pacific. And we certainly have a role as Westerners, as Americans, to to do our part as part of the global body of Christ, but we can't do it all. And the great thing is God has already equipped them. He's already positioned them in these languages, in these cultures, in his church 
with a thirst for his word and the readiness to to put that their their own skill and experience to use so that God's word can go to the rest of their community. Well, there's a humble spirit that comes through that too. And I, I know that in no way are you seeking the glory for all this translation work that's going on, but somebody's got to do the work. Somebody's got to spur others on to love and good deeds, right? All we're doing is encouraging them. We're telling them, we're, we're reminding them that they are equipped uniquely and, and much better than we are to do this translation work. And we're asking, can we be your servant? Can we provide this encouragement and training? Can we provide technology and support? so that you can get this work done. You mentioned Southeast Asia. You mentioned East Africa. Take us to another part of the world. Can I pick a country? Um, India. Anything going on in India we should know about? Yeah, India is actually an amazing story. It wasn't that long ago that in terms of global priorities for Bible translation, India was at the top of our list because because of their large population, they had more bible people than any other country in the world. And an unimaginable number of languages that are mysterious to us, right? Well, they have hundreds of languages. At the time in in recent history, I remember specifically a list of 110 languages that had clearly identified priority need for Bible translation. And we were thinking, well, how long will it take to begin Bible translation in all of these communities? But within the first year after MAST emerged and we began being invited by Indian churches to engage and to train them in this process, 90 languages in India began Bible translation for the very first time, 90 out of 110. Hmm. And we're now within striking distance of seeing Bible translation in every language in India in the very near future. Are you able to say yes to every need? We have in the past been very fortunate in terms of God's provision to be able to to say yes to every need. And right up until last month, we were able to do that. And last month, what happened was the, the thirst and the, the demand or request for Bible translation support has now begun to exceed our resources. It's exploding, isn't it? And so at this point, we're having to say not yet. We don't say no to anybody, but we say not yet. And we're looking for ways, obviously, to increase our resources financially, but also to lower the cost so it becomes within reach of more of our international partners around the world. We know that God has a plan for this to happen. We don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, but we want to be continuing to walk forward by faith as he unfolds his plan. It's got to be an amazing experience, Bruce, to to be where you are and to get the bird's eye view, so to speak, of this whole thing going on all around the world and see what God is doing. You know, I'm a guy from the Midwestern United States. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, and I ask myself often, how did I end up in a place where I have the opportunity to engage with the church globally, to be a part of the first translation of Scripture in hundreds of different languages. And there really is no human answer for that. The only answer is that God has a plan for getting his word to the people. He's given us his testimony, both his Old Testimony and his New Testimony, and he desires for people to know that. I've just stepped forward and said, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss that opportunity. And certainly we invite others to consider that same thing. Step up, be a part of it. Don't miss the opportunity to be a part of getting God's word to all the nations. If you would like to learn more about Wycliffe Associates and the work of Bible translation, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com, where there are online links to follow. Bruce Smith's new book, Living Translation, Their Stories, is also linked at the website, firstpersoninterview.com. These weekly conversations are made possible through a partnership with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who is also committed to spreading God's Word, in their case, through radio and new technologies. 
FEBC is grateful for your support and is offering a free 30-day devotional featuring daily scripture readings coupled with a testimony of a listener who tunes into FEBC often under difficult circumstances. More at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. 